You're listening to episode three of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I felt like, wow, this seems like such an important service to offer clients. And so not just for pregnancy, but for anybody. Yeah. Men, women alike. Um, And so going into the program to study pelvic health, it just really opened my eyes to this huge gap that's there within physio. And at that time, I was also studying osteopathy. And so with osteopathy taking such a whole body approach as well, this just seemed Mm -hmm. like such a natural fit. Welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, a place where you just might find or hear a tiny piece of your motherhood reality. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, an educator, writer, and emotionally frazzled toddler mom. If you've ever felt lonely in your motherhood journey or asked yourself, am I the only one experiencing this? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each episode focuses on a different but common motherhood struggle, where we discuss the ups, the downs, and the WTFs with moms from all around the world. So whether you're stroller pushing and podcasting yourself around the neighborhood, waiting at the doctor's office for your next fertility treatment, or listening with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end of another full day of motherhood, welcome. I hope you can relate to some of what you hear in today's episode, and get ready to raise your hand if you do. Hey mamas, and welcome to episode three of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, and today we're focusing on postpartum recovery. In this episode, we'll talk tips for keeping things as comfortable as possible after birth, whether vaginal or by cesarean. And later in the episode, I'll interview a physiotherapist and osteopathic manual therapist with advanced training in pelvic health. Her name is Marjorie Walker, and she's been practicing for nearly 10 years, including clinics in New Zealand and Australia. She now calls Vancouver home and has her own private practice where she treats people of all ages and stages of life, including many pregnant and postpartum moms. I had the pleasure of working with Marjorie both pre-birth and postpartum, and I'll share a little bit more about my experiences before our interview. Before we get started, the tips shared in today's episode are from real mothers who have each been through their own postpartum recoveries. To each of them, I say thank you for raising your hands and sharing your experiences so the mamas who come after you might have a more comfortable entry into the first few weeks, months, or beyond of motherhood. We focus a lot of energy on preparing for the birth of our babies. We've got the mantras and the playlists and the birth plans and the baby classes and the hospital go bags. And whether or not your labor and birth go or went anything like you imagined they would, It's a taxing event on our bodies, to say the very least. Birth is one of, if not the, most physical events we will ever experience in our lives. And then after it happens, we go home with this tiny little person whose entire world is dependent on you every hour of the day. And the days are filled with bending and lifting and changing diapers and bouncing and rocking and getting up and down off the floor. And somewhere in and amongst all that physical demand and newborn exhaustion, We have to make time to heal. Many of us probably estimate a recovery time of about six weeks, and that's because it's what we've heard about and read about. You know, you can return to exercise after six weeks if approved by a medical professional. You can engage in sexual activity again after six weeks, etc., etc. I have photos of myself from the second day at home with our son. My husband and I very ambitiously decided we were going to go for a walk with our newborn in the carrier. 
I look at these pictures now and marvel at the fact that I don't even look tired yet. It came shortly afterwards. But after walking the length of about a city block, I told my partner we needed to turn around and head back home. Because it was in that moment that I heard my body screaming at me. Whoa, slow the hell down, you crazy woman. You just birthed a baby. Now, I know that everybody's experience is different and that not all childbirth stories are traumatic or feature 24-hour-plus long laboring and not all new moms tear or require stitching after birth, but the fact is, many women do. And even quote-unquote simple births can sometimes result in lengthy postpartum recoveries. As new moms, we're already dealing with so much as we figure out how to be a parent and take care of our babies. I know I definitely didn't know what that healing and recovery process would look like for myself, which meant I wasn't prepared for it and didn't know what to ask for when I needed it. So I reached out and the Raise Your Hand Motherhood community has spoken. I've compiled a list of the top 10 things every new mom needs or needs to know about postpartum recovery. All right, mamas, open the notes app on your phone or get a pad and paper ready. The top 10 things every new mom needs or needs to know about postpartum recovery start here. Number one, constipation is real. I said what I said, and don't forget it. Be proactive and stay on top of it before it sneaks up on you. There is nothing worse than being backed up on top of recovering from birthing a watermelon out of your body. So make sure you hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Eat all of the fiber. Take your constipation meds after birth and reach out to your doctors or midwives if you feel it coming on. Seriously, mamas, do not forget to watch out for this. Speaking from personal experience, it rivals labor. Number two, padsicles are your friend. It's exactly what it sounds like, a frozen pad that acts like an ice pack for your vagina. I had a package or two from Frida Mom myself, which I really liked. You could snap them open and feel the coolness rush through immediately. Five stars. Highly recommend. That being said, there are a million DIY tutorials on the internet if you'd rather make your own. If you want, you can include witch hazel, aloe vera, or peppermint oil, to name a few things, and you can prepare them in advance and store them in your freezer. Number three, two words, mesh underwear. The big ones that go from your belly button to your mid-thigh. Beg, borrow, or steal as many pairs as you can from the hospital or midwife. They are a game changer in the first few days and weeks. I specifically remember asking if my midwife could grab some more for me the next time she was at the hospital, and she did not disappoint. Number four, things are messy for a while, so be prepared. Remember that your body just housed a baby for the last nine months, and there's a lot that needs to be shed out. That first few weeks can be like having a heavy period, and don't be scared if you notice clots of blood in your padsicles. But remember, it's always best to reach out to a doctor or midwife if you have any questions or concerns. Number five, it's okay if you don't feel ready for sex, for exercise, for whatever you thought you would be back to within the first month or two. Give yourself and your body a break, and if you're still feeling uncomfortable after an extended period of time, it might be worth considering speaking with a medical or mental health professional. Number six, communication is key. Communicate with your partner, if you have one, before the birth. Figure out a game plan for nights and feedings so you can share the load with each other. If you're nursing, many mamas in the Raise Your Hand community recommended bottle and pump so your partner can also participate in feedings. Number seven, 
Perry bottles. Buy one or make your own out of a spray bottle from the dollar store. It's called a Perry bottle because it's meant to help gently spray and soothe the perineum. That's the space between the anus and the vulva. Use it in the first few days after birth, particularly if you experienced any kind of tearing. Number eight, if you are breastfeeding and struggling, consider trying silver cups. They can be inserted into your nursing bras or tanks between feedings, and they're made out of sterling silver, which is antimicrobial, antifungal, antibacterial, and contain anti-inflammatory properties. If you have sore, cracked nipples, you're definitely going to want to have all of those things. I know a lot of women who've sworn by them, so could be worth a try. Number nine, get a whole team of reliable people to help you eat properly. Our downstairs neighbors delivered a huge bag of fresh groceries and homemade meals to our doorstep on the day we came back from the hospital. And I can't even tell you how much I needed that. In the days and weeks that followed, friends dropped off soups, pastas, and homemade energy balls. Those are my favorite. So if you're about to become a mama, ask friends and family for help with meals. And if you're listening right now and you know a new mama who could use a bag of fresh groceries, get on it. Number 10, sleep when you can. Rest when you can. Hell, just close your eyes when you can. Back in episode one, my guest spoke about suffering from severely bloodshot zombie-like eyes in the weeks after giving birth, simply from lack of sleep. She highly recommended investing in a weighted eye mask to shut out the daylight when you just need to grab 10 minutes of sleep. And one more bonus for you all. Remember that things change and look and feel differently after birth, but you know your body best. So if something doesn't seem right after a period of recovery and healing, advocate for yourself and get checked out. Many mamas in the Raise Your Hand community suggested seeking out a pelvic floor therapist. So if that form of therapy is new to you, stick around. I'll be right back with our guest and she can tell you all about it. Hey mamas, for some stroller thoughts today, I wanted to just tell you quickly how I met our guest. Um, I worked with Marjorie when I was pregnant, actually. Uh, She helped me deal with a an injury I had from a very slow jog I went on one day with my husband and uh, we kind of worked together until I gave birth and it wasn't until about four months postpartum that I started to notice that something was not quite feeling right so I called Marjorie back up and booked an appointment and went in to see her Marjorie did a check and was able to confirm my suspicion, which was that I had a mild form of prolapse. Um, I didn't know a lot about prolapse. I just knew that it was something that you did not want to have. So after pregnancy and childbirth, I just felt a little bit overwhelmed about something else going on in my body that I didn't know a whole lot about and that I'd never really heard many people talking about and I didn't know anybody else who had experienced it. So it was a difficult time for me with a four month old. And I'm just really grateful that I was able to work with Marjorie because she was such a reassurance to me in that time. And I'm just so glad that she's able to be here today to share some of her expertise with all you mamas. How many of you have ever thought about the health of your pelvic floor? How many of you have even heard of your pelvic floor? You've probably heard of Kegels, that exercise you do by squeezing the muscles in the walls of your vagina. 
Well, that is a pelvic floor strengthening exercise, but there is so much more to pelvic health than that. And my guest today, Marjorie Walker, will help walk us through the ins and outs of it. Let's welcome Marjorie to the pod and pick her brain on all things preventative and postpartum recovery for moms and moms-to-be. Hi. Good morning. How are you? Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we can make this happen. Yes, me too. Thank you so much for thinking of me. It's early there for you, right? It's eight o'clock? It's eight o'clock, yeah. Thanks for being here. <laughs> no worries. I usually yeah. start work at like 8 a.m., so I'm used to getting up. Oh, okay. Early, so it's all good. Well, I want to start off officially by saying hi, Marjorie, and welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so there's a lot that I want to discuss with you today, but I was hoping that we could start off by backing up for the listener and sharing your journey into the work that you do today. For sure. So it's, it's interesting because my journey into say pelvic health physiotherapy, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a typical one that you'll hear. Typically, women will have had experiences themselves with, if it's pregnancy delivery and pelvic floor problems, and they've had good experiences or they've had bad experiences with their, their journey, and they tend to be physios themselves, and then they find that they want to then go into service for pelvic health, helping others. Um, For myself, it felt like it was just this natural progression. So it was actually a physio friend that introduced me to pelvic health physio. Um, to be honest, it's not something that's really taught that well within the physio program. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm very curious and I love learning, continuing education. And I felt like, wow, this seems like such an important service to offer clients. And so not just for pregnancy, but for anybody. Yeah. Men, women alike. Um, And so going into the program to study pelvic health, it just really opened my eyes to this huge gap that's there within physio. And at that time, I was also studying osteopathy. And so with osteopathy taking such a whole body approach as well, this just seemed Mm -hmm. like such a natural fit for my practice. Yeah. When I discovered you, when I was sort of doing my own Google searches when I lived in Vancouver and saw the combination that you had of physiotherapy and osteopathy and pelvic health therapy, I was just like, this is a perfect combination for me because I want someone who is who is holistically looking at everything within my body and, you know, can tell me the little subtleties and things that that might be affecting what's going on with me. So, yeah, that was one of the reasons that I reached out to you initially. Mm-hmm. And I find that that's usually the case as well, is that people will see that I have that osteopathic background. And just knowing that it's that whole body approach is very appealing to so many people. Can you describe or paint a mental picture for the listener of where their pelvic floor is and what exactly it does and what it supports? For sure. <laughs> so if you think of your pelvis as this basin or a bowl, but the, the bowl is missing its bottom. Yeah. So there's a large opening at the top and a smaller opening at the bottom. And that bony framework that houses all of your pelvic organs is supported at the bottom by this muscular hammock or this sling. And this muscular sling attaches right at the front of your pubic bones and it goes all the way to the back to your tailbone and spans out to the sides and attaches onto your sit bones. And so this muscular sling is very dynamic. It needs to move. Every time you take a breath in and out, it needs to just gently rise and fall. And every time that you're, you say you're walking or you're doing any sort of physical activity, that, that 
pelvic floor will contract and relax and disperse forces across the muscle and and into the bones. And so a part of its big role is to support, yes, your pelvic organs, but it's also an important piece as well in terms of um, like a fluidic pump in and out of the, not just the pelvis, but also your lower extremities as well. So that's a very important piece there in terms of um, lymphatic drainage, fluidic drainage out of the pelvis. Um, they're very important muscles for sexual function as well, too. We can forget about that component of it with our pelvic right. floors. A very important, a very important component. <laughs> yes, very important <laughs> for for continence. So your ability to retain urine, fecal matter. So the, pel- the pelvic floor needs to have this level of tone to have that Mm. retention, that continence. And then it also needs to be able to relax completely. So you can empty your bladder completely. You can empty your bowels completely. Right. Um, Yeah. Those are the the key pieces to the pelvic floor. I don't know if that paints a good picture for you. It really does. I see, I, I mean, I've actually seen you holding the model of the pelvic floor and like showing me all these different functions. So I, but I think that sets it up really well for someone who doesn't know much or anything at all about it who's listening so follow up to that do you feel that you or do you find that you see or treat many women who have never worked with a pelvic floor therapist before seeing you yes I would say for the most part though the people that are coming in to see me are aware of what a pelvic floor or a pelvic health assessment is so the reason Mm -hmm. why I say pelvic health and not so much pelvic floor is that it's so much more than just the muscles when we look at um, the, the issues that people can have right. that, in, that involve the pelvic floor, but pelvic health being a much more encompassing word. Um, but nonetheless, most people will be aware of what that assessment includes and they're searching that. So it's very rarely that mm. um, I'll have clients that it's, they're, they're coming in for something else. And then I start talking about how the pelvic floor can be playing a key piece in their problem. Um, those ones are a little bit, um, not trickier, but people can be taken off guard if they aren't coming in for that service and then that's being brought up, but it's not, obviously it's never forced or, um, there's always ways to work around that. That doesn't involve the internal component, the evaluation of the pelvic floor. Right. Because can you explain that a little bit, what the, how that looks, what the evaluation of the pelvic floor looks like? Because somebody might be interested in, in knowing that, like they'd, they'd like to start learning more about their pelvic floor health and they come in to see you and, and, and what happens? What's the procedure? What's the... So initially there's a very extensive intake as well. So just a, a chat with, with a client to understand exactly what their symptoms are and then a history, including past medical history. So say, for example, if it was somebody postpartum or prenatal, um, understanding their history can help a lot with their treatment as well, just if it's previous injuries or accidents, traumas, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so after that extensive interview that goes into just the different systems of the body, because as we know, everything is interconnected, even things down to like digestive problems can really impact a woman's pelvic floor. Hmm. And so with that, I explained to I bring out the pelvis and I show them the anatomy and I show them the pelvic floor and the organs and their function. And I explain to them how it is a gold standard 
to truly understand what's going on with that pelvic floor, that an internal evaluation is done. Now, this is a vaginal internal evaluation to assess the integrity of the pelvic floor. Uh, so, is it overly tight? Do they do women not have very much tone? Are they able to connect with their pelvic floor muscles? So, can they contract them? And a really important piece is, can they relax them? Mm. What's going on with the pelvic floor muscles with their breath as well? So, like I said, that pelvic floor needs to be able to rise and fall with the breath. Right. Is that happening? Do they have any pain? Because just like any other muscle, you can get tight spots within that pelvic floor, which can be a trigger point in a way or have referred pain in various areas. And depending on their history as well, the tailbone and that back wall of the pelvic floor can be such an important piece to evaluate too. Okay. Yeah. Right. So we might think that the pelvic floor is just the muscles that are in the front that are around their urethra and the vagina, but that sling goes all the way to the back and goes around the rectum and attaches to the tailbone as well too. So the evaluation of that, that back wall and the tailbone can be really important. I've treated women who have had fractured tailbones during delivery. Okay. So it goes to show the importance of that, the mobility of not, not just the tailbone, um, but also the, the, the sacrum, which is that triangular bone at the base of the spine. Um, So just making sure that everything is, is moving nicely because a lot of people have had falls onto their bum, onto their tailbone. Yeah. Just throughout life. Just throughout life. And so that can be a key piece for, for some women as well too. Okay. Um, So Marjorie, this podcast, as we've discussed, it's created to discuss the shared experiences and common struggles of mothers and moms to be. Um, what would you say are the biggest physical issues that you see women having both in pregnancy and postpartum? Sure. No, it's a great question. During pregnancy, I'd say one of the biggest issues or struggles is the experience of going through all these physical changes. And a lot of women will have experiences where their body's having pro- troubles adapting to those changes as their body is growing and changing. And so this can show up in different ways for women. Very commonly, it can be, you know, pelvic pain, broad ligament pain, round ligament pain, um, pain in the pubic symphysis, low back, sciatica, hips, but can have things like rib, rib pain, headaches, swelling, a whole show gamut. Up in so many different ways. In so yeah. many different ways. And so that's where I love that osteopathic approach as well, too, right? Because you're you're treating women head to toe, um, helping their body adapt to to these changes during their pregnancy. And so I feel like that's one of the biggest pieces for women. And um combining that also with the with physiotherapy, with exercise and in terms of postpartum, the types of issues that you see a lot of with women coming in? I would say um, things like diastasis recti, so that separation of the abdominal muscles. Mm -hmm. Um, Tearing is such a a common thing with women of their pelvic floors, Um, Mm -hmm. the perineum, and the um, scar tissue within the pelvic floor that happens after delivery. Um, now we're speaking obviously more vaginal delivery, but then you 
can get into more the avenue of C-section scars, right? which is such an important piece to treat and educate women on as well, too. Um, and can women who have had a C-section still experience struggles with their pelvic floor health, obviously throughout pregnancy and postpartum as well? Yes, they can. That is a a typical misconception that if you have a C-section that you won't have any issues with your pelvic floor. Um, Not as common, but still something that is important to evaluate after a delivery as well. Okay. So um, Marjorie, I set up the listener a little bit before our conversation, um, but you and I worked together a little a little during my pregnancy for a couple of different issues. Um, and then we reconnected again around four months after I had given birth, which was when you confirmed my suspicions that I had experienced a mild prolapse. And this was just from me feeling within my own body like things were not as they once were. And so it was just something that I was really glad to come in and have confirmed so that I had information to work with. But can you explain a little bit about what prolapse is and the biggest misconceptions that you think women and society have about prolapse? I'm going to start with the biggest misconception there. Okay. And that women feel like that it's their organs that are falling out. Mm -hmm. I think what words we use is very important. And our perception of what a prolapse is can be changed. Now, with organs falling out, we think, oh, we have to go down a surgical route. It's this worst case scenario or, oh, it's irreversible. Right. Because there's there's different stages and there's different grades of a prolapse. So with prolapse, you can have a prolapse of the of the bladder or you can have a prolapse of the uterus. Um, you can have a prolapse of the bowel. Even women who've had hysterectomies, they can have a prolapse of the what they call the vaginal vault. So that space where the uterus once was. And so prolapse is the descent of an organ into the vaginal orifice. So that's technically what a prolapse is. Now, the falling out part, we can change that with there's something that's pushing down onto these organs, or we can think about it, there's something that's pulling it down. Now, this is... um, there's some great research by this one pelvic health physio in, in England that speaks a lot about um, scar tissue and how that can act as this anchor or contribute to that descent of a pelvic organ. Okay. Even if you haven't torn, you can still have scar tissue in that the pelvic floor. I remember you telling me, I don't know if, I don't know how to frame a question even around it. I just remember you explaining, were you explaining it to me of... It being like a chandelier. Oh, are you using this? I chandelier. I know I use umbrella, but let's hear the. Oh, okay. Let's hear about the chandelier. Was it like you have a chandelier that's on? You know, it's it's being held to the ceiling by this cord, and after birth or after you know experiencing a prolapse, that that this cord has has stretched or or lengthened, and the chandelier has has dropped, and there's not a way to unstretch the stretch but you can make the room that the chandelier is living in you can make it a better environment for that chandelier to exist in even mm-hmm. though it's a little bit stretched or like yeah i don't even know if that's correct does that like like can you take yeah. that 
that <laughs> metaphor, which maybe works or maybe doesn't work at all, and kind of riff off of that and tell me more about the umbrella. <laughs> yes, no, for sure. Oh, metaphors. <laughs> metaphors are not my strength, but <laughs> I can I can see what you're what you're describing there. And you know, there there are physical changes that happen to a woman's body with delivery, and it doesn't go back to exactly to what it was before. And that's okay. Right. Because yes, you can always work to create a better house for that chandelier, as you say. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, this is where you can get into those pieces of, um, you know, when you start looking at the body of like, okay, so what's going on with their ribs after delivery, the diaphragm, I do a lot of visceral manipulation as well, too. So when you look at um, the the space that that baby took up and the translation of, of different con- like organ contents in your abdomen, like the large intestine, the small intestine, the liver. So you can really start working with those fascial pieces viscerally with women after a delivery. Um, and that's going to affect that pressure piece where I said how there could be something pulling down on right. the pelvic contents or there can be something pushing down. So balancing those pressures in a woman's body is very important after a delivery, even going up into the, the, up into the thoracic cage. So like the ribs Mm -hmm. where you start working on the fascial pieces of the, of the lungs and, um, yeah. So you can actually manually manipulate pieces that during pregnancy were maybe forced together or had come together and, and. Recreate space. Cause a release. Yeah, create space. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, well, with with women as well, it's not just the, the pregnancy itself. It can be also what was their body, what was their house like before, before okay. they got pregnant. Because we all have our, our history. Our body always has a story to tell of mm. different injuries or issues that we've had prior to. And that can be influencing how your body adapts during pregnancy too. Okay. Yeah. So when I found out about my postpartum prolapse, which was mild, and as I said, it was um, pain and relatively symptom-free, at least in my regard, I reached out to a lot of friends and family, and it seemed like almost nobody um, could relate or had had the same diagnosis or especially not older generations that I spoke with. And I wanted to know how that kind of correlates with the numbers or the frequency of prolapse that you and people within your professional body um see prolapse occurring in in your clientele Mm -hmm, for sure now the women the percentage of women who actually get a pelvic organ prolapse is is not a large number i mean it's not super small but it's not large so i feel like that is a representation of my practice like that is reflected in my practice um when it comes to older generations I feel like a piece of it is, is that it goes undiagnosed because pelvic floor physio or pelvic health physio was not a common thing 20, 30 years ago. So I feel like a big piece of that is that they're not being screened. So any um, pelvic symptoms that you can have can be normalized and not be related back to an, mm. an, an issue with say the pelvic floor or a, a pelvic right. organ prolapse. Cause like I said, they can be quite mild and go, unnoticed or you can have minor symptoms such as oh I've this pelvic heaviness that comes and goes or issues with bladder continence mm-hmm. those sorts of things so um I feel like that's a big piece with older generations okay yeah I 
would agree with that from what I've sort of heard from the people I've spoken with. Because it can yeah. seem quite common that um, it's normal to have to go to the bathroom 12, 15 times a day mm-hmm. or a little bit of leakage or a lot of leakage if you have to, you know, with with pads, if you're changing, oh, I just have to change my pad about three times a day or however often it may be. And that's been normalized. And those are very important pieces to help people with their symptoms. But it's it's that there are other therapies that can that can help help. Right. What do you think kind of rolling off of that? What do you think can be done to make pelvic health um, and postpartum healing something that is more commonly discussed and understood and not so scary? Like the fact that so many women are scared to even look at themselves in a mirror before pregnancy or or giving birth, let alone afterwards, you know? So mm. what do you think as a pelvic floor therapist and an osteopathic physiotherapist as well that can be done or that we need to sort of talk about more with each other or spread the word about to make this a more open conversation? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really interesting because it's like I can see the that trend, how we're going in that direction. So it's a very gener- yeah, generational so. thing, right? Where it's like this is not something that our parents or our grandparents would talk about or would they have seen a pelvic health physio when they were our age after right. having kids. And so it's like we're coming into this generation of knowledge and mm-hmm. you know this access to knowledge is people are talking about things a little bit more yeah they definitely are and you know for for example like take yourself the experience that you've had and you're turning this into something where you can then mm. educate other women share your experience and then you're bringing people like me onto your show as well too to help with share, <laughs> sharing that knowledge and so i can really see how we're going in that direction for sure but education is so important to destigmatize the pelvic floor, the pelvic bowl and its function. And so when we can understand that 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 pelvic floor is a muscle like any other muscle, for example, and it's really important to understand its roles and what happens to it, how, you know, it can get injured like any other muscle can get injured in a sport type thing. And we can can train it and rehab it to some extent. Yes, exactly. And then educating women on how their like their anatomy, how their body functions, what are the contributing factors to their, their pelvic symptoms? Yeah. And what are the tools that they can do to take care of themselves and to empower themselves to heal? And speaking of tools, what are what are some tools that you can recommend to someone listening today? Um, A simple thing that they can be doing, you know, sitting at the table or going for a walk or laying in their bed, um, you know, in the morning or in the evening to strengthen their pelvic floors, to take just a, a couple of minutes to focus on that part of their body and, and yeah, strengthen. Mm-hmm. What, what are some recommendations? It is a bit of a tricky question to answer just because with pelvic floor function, it's not always a matter of weakness in those muscles. Ah, okay. And that tension can be such a big piece. And so when a muscle is tight, it's weak. So imagine if you can, you contracted yeah. your bicep muscle, if you started flexing your bicep muscle and it's tight. And then I asked you contract your bicep, but you didn't know your bicep was contracted in the first place. Mm. And then you're like, Oh, I can't, I can't contract it. My bicep must be really weak. I need to strengthen it. It's like, no, no, wait, we need to bring awareness to how to relax that 
first before you can contract it. Now, knowing whether or not your pelvic floor is tight or if it's loose or weak, that can be the the tricky part. And that's where the internal evaluation can come in. Now, there are ways to externally evaluate the pelvic floor as well, too. So women don't have to be pressured into an internal evaluation. But being able to like getting diagnosed with what the state is of their pelvic floor, first and foremost, is really important. The next question I have is, can having sex help strengthen the pelvic floor? Or can having sex be healthy activity for your pelvic floor? And if so, how so? <laughs> yes, I would definitely <laughs> say it does. Now, um, so say, for example, if uh, a woman has more of a tight pelvic floor, uh, let's say they've come in to see me a number of months or whatever it may be after their delivery, and you find that there's more tension, um, or it can be a pregnant woman who's having problems with a tight pelvic floor, because a relaxed pelvic floor is very important for delivery. That, mm, right. those muscles need to stretch. Yeah. And so with, um, with sex and with an orgasm more specifically, there's a contraction of those muscles and then a relaxation. Right. So if there's already this low grade tone in the muscle and it gets tr- to contract, that contraction signals the muscle to then relax. So then you have more of a relaxed baseline to work from. Okay. Ah, Okay. So that can be so, a really important tool there. That orgasm can can help sort of reset or or yeah reset a that, tight that area tight yeah. muscle. Or if it's okay. you have problems more with recruitment or activation, that that orgasm can help with that contraction, that recruitment of those okay. muscles as well too. That retraining of your pelvic floor. Right. And there's also a component of um, there can be sensitivity as well too because pain with sex is quite common afterwards as well and so each woman woman um progressing at at a, in a rate in a way that that they're comfortable it's with comfortable their pelvic to them. floor um, right yeah i talked about that in the previous segment too so that's that's mm, great nice to have that sort of confirmed and and okay marjorie i want you to please tell me your must do's mm. for mothers so um in each episode, I'm, I'm trying to ask my guest for their must-haves for motherhood. And in this case, um, I'd really like you to share your must-dos. So what are some things that you really think that each mother or new mom or soon-to-be mom needs to do? For sure. I've kind of hinted at it, trickled yeah. throughout, throughout the episode mm-hmm. there. And I would say it definitely would be find a pelvic health physiotherapist Yes, to get an evaluation prior to... Um, if it's prior to pregnancy, during your pregnancy, like prior to your delivery, um, to see what what your state your pelvic floor is, what your baseline is. When you're pregnant, the baseline piece is a little bit trickier there because depends on what stage you're in. Because if you're wanting to more prep for delivery, um, like I said, it's more that relaxation component of your pelvic floor rather than. Okay. However, it's it's nice to train women prior to or help women connect with their pelvic floor prior to mm-hmm. their delivery. Um, and so that would be a key piece there. And then having a follow up six weeks plus after okay. after your delivery as well okay. is, is really important. 
Excellent advice. <laughs> no guess. It's just so there's not not necessarily a guessing game as well too as right. to what a, a proper treatment would be for you. And like I said, no one's ever forced to have an internal evaluation, even just seeing a pelvic floor physio and working with somebody more externally is very beneficial. And my okay. bias of course is to to see an osteopathic practitioner that <laughs> there's a can treat the whole the whole self, the whole body. Yes. Or assess the whole, yes. Okay. And do you have any other must-dos for mothers? Yeah. You know, there's so much great information out there. There's so many women like yourself and, and pelvic therapists and doctors that have these wonderful podcasts or blogs that are dedicated towards pregnancy and postpartum. One that I would suggest is one that's called Expected and Empowered. There are these two um, wonderful women physiotherapists in the States that are also mamas and they were, and I'll call them athletes now as well too, because yeah. <laughs> they're really into running. So especially those mamas that want to get into running, right? they're a great resource to have as well too. Great. That's a, that's a nice one. I love to um, sort of collect these pieces that can then, you know, come in and then be filtered out to whoever needs them, whether it's podcasts or blogs or um, Instagram accounts or other social media accounts, just in this case, um, people that specialize in pelvic health and postpartum recovery, but, you know, for the podcast across so many, such a variety of different topics that we're going to be covering coming up. So mm-hmm. that's great. Did, did you have any others that you wanted to share or um, that you listened to? Um, there, is a, there is another one that I think is quite great. And her name is Brian Grogan, and she's a, a pelvic physiotherapist in the States as well too. And hers is femfusionfitness.com. Femfusionfitness.com. Yeah. Okay. She's great. She has lots of YouTube clips on um, core exercises that are really respecting the pelvic floor, reconnecting with your pelvic floor. She's, nice. She's a great resource to have for sure. Okay. Wonderful. I will include that in the show notes along with your other suggestions. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today and that it's just been really nice catching up with you and seeing you again and having you on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me on here. I'm excited to see how the podcast grows and and where you go with it. It's great. Thanks for listening in today, mamas. And I hope you have some helpful takeaways about postpartum healing and pelvic floor health. I'll include all the links from today's episode in the show notes, so make sure you check that out and share with somebody who could use the tips and information we've discussed. As a new podcast, it would help me out so much if you could leave a review for the show. Please share your thoughts on Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or leave a review directly on my website, www.raiseyourhandmotherhoodpodcast.com. Reviews and word of mouth are two of the biggest ways for new mamas to find their way to me and me to them. So thank you so much in advance. As always, I'll be back next week with more stories, interviews, and motherhood realities. That's all for today, mamas. Until next time. Hey mama, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast. I made it for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can hang out together again soon.